Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I had a weird dream this week, guys. I uh, went to this bagel shop, and I said, can I have the pale blue eye bagel? And they said, I'm sorry, we only have plain. <laughs> and then I woke up. Huh. Joining mm. me today is Dipinger Hardware. I can't wait for Gerard <laughs> Butler to finish this, uh, you know, uh, gritty reboot trilogy uh, with the sequels Train and Automobile. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Jeff Kanata. Uh, we had a hard time deciding on the movie this week, but it turned out it was plain to see. <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Plane, which is a new action movie out in theaters right now. It did pretty well, made over $10 million. Uh, so not bad, not bad. This is actually one of the first kind of quote unquote normal box office weeks we've had where there's been a, a wide variety of movies mm-hmm. in the box office, many of them doing pretty well. Uh, who knows, guys? Maybe these this idea of movies isn't dead quite yet. Wow, Dave. Uh, it sounds like... Things really turned around after, I don't know, a certain movie hit theaters. <laughs> Sounds like something, oh, I don't know, saved cinema. I I agree that Megan's impact on the box <laughs> office has been... Uh, Megan under, really <laughs> hit the year running. Underrated, know? yeah, indeed. Mm, okay, yeah. anyway. No, um, definitely, Megan is definitely the sixth highest grossing movie of all time. That's, mm-hmm. that's definitely what Megan is. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmcast podcast uh and i do want to point out that if you back us on patreon you get access to ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks this week there's going to be i'm i'm calling it and it is true um there's going to be a very memorable after dark now i do think we will be releasing that after dark on the main feed uh as well because uh a lot of people deserve to hear it but you will get early access at patreon.com slash film podcast to this week's after dark and fool me um, once dave I mean, unless I be fooled again, unless I have catastrophic data loss, Mm. you know, Um, unless there was a looper that went back in time and uh, (laughs) made this not happen. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. jinx it. (laughs) Unless my computer was bricked uh, (laughs) and I'm unable to access the file, you know. Yeah. Then this, my brothers, is going to bloom into a good episode. <laughs> Last night in the Knives Up Mystery. Okay, so, um, so folks who are who are longtime listeners of the show, and by long time I mean you've been listening for longer than eight days, um, might be wondering, hey Dave, last week on the episode, uh, you said this week you'd be reviewing The Pale Blue Eye, the Netflix sensation directed by Scott Scott Cooper, mm-hmm. starring Christian Bale. Yeah, we uh, we lied. Arrest us for it. Okay, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? <laughs> wow, what are you gonna do? I, very hostile. Uh, yeah, that's very... pretty, pretty, pretty aggro. Dimitra. I've definitely got some tweets of being like, I thought it was a pale blue eye. I'm like, no. Well, <laughs> whatever. I can man. understand people being upset if they were forced to watch a pale blue eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean so I, we definitely, I definitely did see a message that was like, we can never tell my wife that I made her watch this for nothing. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so so what? What I, I'm gonna tell the story from my perspective. Okay. For the last couple of weeks, I've been saying, guys, we got to review Plane on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Got to review Plane because, first of all, it's a movie called Plane. Okay? It's called Plane. It, it is like, and I, I, you know, here's the thing. I have in, really enjoyed 
Gerard Butler's last few movies. Like, sure. I've this enjoyed, seems like the most Gerard Butler of Gerard Butler I've movies. Enjoy, you know, I love yeah. Den of Thieves. I can't wait for Den of Thieves 2. Uh-huh. Um, I enjoyed Greenland. I liked Angel Has Fallen. You know, I have you, seen none of those yeah, movies. Yeah, I know. You, you don't like any of those movies. Right? So, mm-hmm. so, I, well, I did so, not like them. I just didn't right, see right, them. Right, right, right. You're, not, you're not really into the Gerard Butler essence these days. And, and that's fine. And that's fine. So anyway, so we had, a, we had a vigorous conversation on the podcast, uh, like in the pre-show podcast, uh, portion about like which movie we should review and i was like plain and everyone was like no i don't think so it doesn't look that good which is like true mm-hmm. um but the, those but, trailers were not good but yeah. yeah 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 i mean i'm not saying it looked like high art or anything the best but the, the best but part of the that movie trailer is would, called plain it's called you know, plain it's audiences called plain. erupting when the title is revealed in the trailer that is pretty cool you know it, it, here's here's why i keep saying it's called plain it's because uh, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a little bit about this at my at my newsletter, decoding everything, where I said like in the olden days, right? Seinfeld and Thirty Rock, they would predict like fake movies, right? Like, mm-hmm. do you remember Seinfeld like fake movies, like Death Blow, you know, <laughs> or like like uh, uh, Thirty Rock would have um, uh, a fake Transformers, Planet of the Earth, I think was one of the titles, <laughs> you know, like so it's like it's like oh in 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 the future or you know in the present like. Uh, pop culture is extremely silly and dumb. We live in an idiocracy. Um, these are fake movies that we fake, extremely dumb movies we'd make. None of those shows predicted a movie that was as dumb as being so as to be called plain. Simply, maybe Seinfeld came closest with Channel, but mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know, th- this is a movie called Plain. This is like we live in a society now where you can just call a movie plain because that's one of the components of the movie and release. I think, and we'll, we'll talk about this in the roof. I, I think it's actually a pretty bold move. I think it's more like <laughs> you want your meat and potatoes. Yeah, here's your plain. Yeah, that's here's it. Plain. Here's that's plain. it. I, well, plain. I, I think it's interesting too because if you named a movie Car, it would sound dumb, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yet we have a movie called Cars, which does not sound dumb. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. If you oh. named a movie, if you named a movie Planes, it's it's less dumb than Plane. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why is that? It's a statement. It's just like, hey, Plane, Plane. Plane. There's so many things about it. There's so many things about it, right? like the spelling, the fact that um, the spelling. It, it's, it's a homophone. Well, just like I, I guess just, it's a homophone for a word yeah. that means something that's very not <laughs> interesting. Right. Um, it's one syllable. Uh, so there's something yeah. really satisfying to saying it. Anyway, um, uh, compared to like ambulance, which is another vehicle that came out, you know, mm-hmm. last year, yeah, uh, that I thought was excellent. But anyway, it's possible to name movies after vehicle and have them not quite, not not sound quite as silly as plain, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, as, it's as one of, there must have been like a big discussion around this too, because I think I've read in I think it was a Mike Ryan interview where Gerard Butler was just like it was kind of his push to simplify the title. <laughs> I think this is a guy who knows exactly what he is and what he is bringing mm-hmm. to cinema. I bring you plain. It was originally World. called the plane. And yes. Gerard Butler is like, remove no. the, it's cleaner. The. It's cleaner. No, the, it's cleaner. The, um, the plane is not goofy, <laughs> right? Having no definitive article makes it goofier. I agree. I agree. If yeah. called, anyway, anyway, I'm really sidetracked from the story, which is that basically we were like, okay, pale blue eye, uh, Scott Cooper, great director, made some great films. Christian Bale, Academy Award what winning could go wrong? actor. You know, like, let's review Play Blue Eye. Okay. Um, I then get a text from Jeff, who, who's like, guys, I think we chose the wrong movie to review this week. <laughs> and, then, and then there was some very um, vigorous discussion about whether we should switch the review to Plane. And here's the thing. Generally, I would say 
90, 95% of the time, when we agree to review a movie, uh, the guys follow through on, on that review. Like no matter mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. bad the movie is, how boring the movie is, we're, we're just like, hey, we stuck, we all committed to this, we're gonna do the review. Um, but I think the the speed and ferocity <laughs> with which Devendra and Jeff were so willing to switch off of Pale Blue Eye. I, I also uh, watched a bit of Pale Blue Eye and I was fully vibing with Jeff's like, uh, let's pull the emergency hatch. Let's go down that, uh, that <laughs> little inflatable shoot little slide yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Um, the speed of ferocity with which they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's review. Like Jeff, literally I was like, Jeff, I'm out right now. You know, I'm doing something out in the world. I'm going to go back home. I'll think about this. And Jeff, before I could even go back home, you were like, I am buying the one forty-five PM ticket to plane. You, you would not even, you were not even. <laughs> yeah. I mean, either way, you know, it's time well spent. You know, pale blue eye makes plane a better movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the the prospect of going into something that's going to be big and dumb and mm-hmm. fun mm-hmm. is so much more attractive. After I'd spent forty five minutes watching Pale Blue Eye, he ran Eye. to the theater. Was like, "Get me away from Pale Blue Eye. I need <laughs> to get away from this movie. I need something that has any life to it at all." Is what? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, listen. The thing that's fascinating to me, right, is like we have reviewed some some bad movies on the podcast, but it's uh-huh. rare. It's rare that you both will be like. Okay, let's GTFO out of this choice that we, you know, like usually, usually it's like it's like inconvenient to see, like we couldn't see Banshees of Any Sheeran, mm-hmm. you know, on the same week, and like it's a logistical problem that caused us to switch a review. Um, all right, go ahead, Jeff. What were you gonna say? I don't like. Okay, first of all, I only made it through forty <laughs> minutes of. <Pale> <laughs> That's a pretty so big chunk. Maybe <laughs> I mean it's a two-hour <laughs> plus movie, so maybe mm-hmm. it like rocks in the second half, and mm-hmm. I, I will never know. Yeah, uh, but I also. Uh, the, I, I made it through 40 minutes and fell asleep, uh, which I never, and it was at eight o'clock. It wasn't like wow. I was staying up this real late. This was like a midnight screening. Yeah, I, I was right. just out uh, in, in my house, like woke up with drool, like, what? what's going on? Um, and I, I, I submit that I don't even think the movie is bad. I just think it's somnobulent. It is just, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. puts you, it's like a, it's ambient. I'll yeah. be honest, guys, I have felt this way about, Pretty much all the Scott Cooper movies we've talked about. Mm-hmm. We reviewed Black Mass, mm-hmm. the Johnny Depp movie, and uh, oh boy, I, I definitely struggled to stay awake in the theaters with that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I just want to say for the record, I mm-hmm. was willing to complete Pale Blue Eye, but Devendra like leaping up and going, "I agree. I I will I will also yeah. be your tribute." I, uh, I I I I should clarify. Jeff was like, mm-hmm. "I'm buying the ticket to see Plane, and if we decide not to review it, that's fine." But that's the thing that was so surprising to me. Jeff is like, Je- previously Jeff was like, "I have zero interest in seeing Plane." So I'm like, that's true. the fact that's that right. he's willing to buy a ticket, like unilaterally <laughs> purchase a ticket to see Plane, I'm like. Holy shit, Jeff feels strongly about this. Yeah. Well, like so- I said, it was it was I want to see something in a movie theater that will wake me up or like keep me with the pulse. Is what I was, is, yeah. Is what I want. Yeah. Je- Jeff just wants to feel alive. That's somehow. just for a brief window of time. Yes. You should have seen the movie Alive, Jeff, which which features a plane, mm-hmm. um, pretty big plane. Yeah, yeah. Pretty big plane that also crashes. Um, yeah. But anyway, good good movie Alive. I, at least I, yeah, from what I, I remember when I saw it was 1998 yeah. whenever it came out. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so Jeff was like, look, I'm, I'm going to Jeff, – Jeff's like, Dave Chen, I'm going to buy a ticket to see Plane no matter what because I need to get as far away from Pale Blue Eye as possible in terms of sensibility, aesthetic. Title. Um, 
title. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's up with that title? So poetic. Yeah. It's plain. The pale blue yeah, eyes like a really artistic title, whereas plain is literally just a uh, a noun. Yeah. Um, and and Jeff, but Jeff was very like, hey, okay, if we decide we don't want to review review plain, that's fine. I'm I'm gonna take the hit. Yeah. You know? Um, so you need you, the energy of playing to get let you finish Pale Blue Eyes. That's basically. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But then Devendra was really into it as well. So that is why we yeah. changed our review to. And the, the to reviews play. have been pretty good too. So like, yes. if this was like you know a, a truly boring sounding movie and people were hating it, uh, I would be less inclined. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people have reviewed it pretty well too. And I am a fan of B great action movies. You know. Well, I, then I have to introduce you to Gerard Butler's, you know, latest Oeuvre. five movies. Yeah, <laughs> I have I've seen some of some of the Fallen movies. His yeah. entire it, it, post, yeah, three hundred output. I think I, 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 I will I will maintain that Angel Has Fallen is like a legit yeah. solid action. It's it's just as good as Plane, honestly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. So that's why. And so sorry for those who have watched Pale Blue Eye. Now, here here's the thing. I watched the first 40 minutes of Pale Blue Eye in solidarity with you guys. Did you really? I did. I really <laughs> That's did. That's amazing. I really did. Because I was like, it sounds like Devendra's seen maybe 20, 30 minutes of this, and yeah. Jeff's seen 40 minutes. So I'm like, I'm going to, uh, you know, in vanishing style, I must experience what they experience. <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm gonna watch the first 40 minutes of Pale Blue Eye. So let's just talk about that for a little bit. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> okay? Let, let's talk about the first 40 minutes of Pale Blue Eye just to see, like, yeah, Jeff, you you've already described a little bit of you know. Do you feel you're fully articulated? What made you piece out of that movie so hard you were willing to get on plane? Well, I mean, okay, so the movie is ostensibly a mystery, a murder mystery, right? Which I love murder mysteries, and I want you know it's a detective, and they like they call in this super detective who's going to be Christian Bale, one of the greatest actors of our of our generation. Indeed, you know? like, yeah. indeed. How could uh, you go wrong? And uh, and it's got Edgar Allan Poe in it. Yes, uh, literally I, three strikes. You're yeah. into Jeff's good graces already, right there. Right? I, I love some Poe. I love Poe. Yes, yes. You know? I love I love words. Where are my Poe heads at? Where are my Poe, my Poe heads? Where are my Poe heads? It's a period piece. It's 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 got some great cinematography. Uh man, it is just look at that cast. Yeah, it's it's like how <laughs> how can I even describe? It is so. It's it's like listening to someone monotone read the phone book oh my <laughs> it God. so it is dry and and um what's his name uh from uh game of thrones plays poe and you know he, he, i think he's harry, a very harry good, melling yes i think he's a very good he's, actor most people mm-hmm. probably know him from queen's gambit yes oh that as well but didn't he wasn't he um wasn't he in game of thrones wasn't he a, was harry potter was he in game of thrones I Maybe don't I'm... remember. Yeah, Harry Potter. Not. In, I don't remember yeah. being in Game of Thrones, Jeff. Oh, all right. Well, I'm misremembering that. <laughs> anyway, I feel like you know, Harry Melling, very talented actor. Yeah. Yes. Very unique skull structure. He looks very, like he looks like Poe, and, and he, he does and, look like Poe. This is the yeah. role he was born to play. Uh, <laughs> he was yeah. born to play a, 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 a Edgar Allan Poe in a work of historical fiction. Now, I will say, uh, <laughs> as Jeff, I was watching it, yes, yes. Quoth the Jeffrey, <laughs> nevermore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's, that's what that's, and there, that was, there, it sounds like there was no point that made you peace out. It was just more yeah. like you I I fell asleep. I how, fell asleep. How, how often do you fall asleep watching movies, Jeff? Never. Never. <laughs> Especially not at eight o'clock. It was right, at eight o'clock. Right, right. My so kids you, had just gone to bed. It, I wasn't particularly tired. I mean, I'm always <laughs> tired. But like I wasn't so, so this happens almost none of the time that you fall asleep during a movie. 
Is yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's been there's been times where I've been very uh, tired, and it's been like a super late, late you know, I have to yeah. st- I have to watch a movie starting at ten or something. You know, I talked about the you know the green uh, yeah the green night green yeah. night. I don't think I fell asleep. I was struggling to not fall asleep in that movie, but I didn't actually fall mm-hmm. asleep. This movie, I literally <laughs> woke up and wasn't sure how much of the movie had kept going. Would you say you eagerly wish the morrow? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. You are awakened by the sound of your telltale heart, uh, perhaps. Mm, 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 mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You needed a cask of Amontillado to chase <laughs> this movie. I felt like I was trapped inside a brick wall. That's what I felt like. <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm just going to be honest. You know, I was pretty surprised. Yeah, I, I was. I was pretty surprised. And I have to say, having watched it, I kind of understand where you're coming from. You know, like were you into it? Know. I don't think it's a great movie, but I'm like, what I was looking for when I watched this movie, okay, here's what I was looking for, was what is the movie that's going to make Jeff buy a ticket to plane? That's, that's <laughs> kind of what I was, that is the lens under which I watched the opening of Pale Blue Eye. And I was like, okay, I kind of get it. You know, if I kind of cock my head and look at, you know, I just thought it was bit. dull. Yeah, it's, just it's, dull. It's, mm-hmm. it's dull, but like, yeah, we watch a lot of movies that have dull components. I try to avoid know? them. But yeah, the thing is, know? When I woke up and I thought, like, what am I even? And this conversation may even <laughs> illustrate that better than I am about to. But I thought, what am I even going to say about this movie? Like, what is yeah. it? Is it even going to engender a discussion that's worthwhile? Like, no. It, yeah. There's what is there to talk about? Really, it's like it's just plodding well, you know, along. First of all, like, I, you know, I haven't seen the whole film, but what I understand is there's a there's a bunch of like. Late act, you know, late movie revelations. That mm, maybe are maybe I missed shocking. out on some awesome. Maybe I just <laughs> ruined everything for everybody. Yeah, but sorry, it's just it's just so fascinating too because um, I, I've never seen you go from having zero opinion to having such a strong opinion in a short period of time. You know, um, but anyway, okay, I I will agree with you that the movie was quite boring. Um, but <laughs> was it was it ultra boring? Was it like? Light speed, hyper boring. You know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> what happened, Dave? I woke up. So I woke up, and yeah, I was uh-huh. like, and I and I stopped the movie, uh-huh, and I went. Uh-huh. I'm gonna have to like go back and figure <laughs> out at what point you lost consciousness. Yes, and, and and then I started thinking like, what are the moments of this movie that I actually recall with clarity? that felt vibrant and alive and interesting, you know? And I, and I was like, well, there's that one part where they like, yeah. the dead body is in that bathtub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. He pulls it out of the water for That's some like reason. That's like literally like 12 minutes. Into the <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, and then, and then what was your chain of logic, Jeff? Where you're like, I literally I like, I can't, I can't bring myself to do that. I don't, I don't do, have I, the strength to do that. Yeah. I was like, I'm certainly not doing that right now. <laughs> what I'm going to do right now is text the guys and say, we've made a terrible and complain mistake. About it, and complain about it. <laughs> yes. why, why go back and undo, you know, undo my mistake of falling asleep when I could complain to Dave and Devendra about it? Right? This, now, this really nullifies it. it, though. You know, he doesn't have to sit through it again. That's Perfect. right. It worked. It all worked out <laughs> it for worked. me. Literally, there are dozens of people out there that watched Pale Blue Eye uh, because we said we would review it. Sorry. Um, and now, uh, now those people Sorry, are guys. left, uh, yeah. are left uh, SOL, as I believe the kids say, yeah. you know? And yeah. um, I will definitely th- think twice about recommending, I, I don't know, future Scott Cooper movies to you. Like, I feel like they've all done this to me. 
And uh, at some point, we got to put our feet down and be like, I, w- I want a movie with a pulse. You well, know? here's what I'm going to say. Give me I'm going f- to finish Pale Blue Eye, okay, in the next week. And then I will report back as to whether or not it is good. Did you stop at 40 minutes as 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 an experiment? Yes, as an experiment, because I knew you had watched about that much. Right. But you you would have continued watching the movie? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have I, I would have continued watching the movie if it was our main review, you know? Right, no, but if it was like in your if you had put that movie on as like a what we've been watching or just, you yeah. know, because you're curious about this Netflix movie that's been yeah. watched by a lot of people on Netflix, would you have I, stuck with it? I probably would have pieced out. And you know, this has actually become a, a great point of contention in the household because <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's Devendra has been championing this idea of like... Yeah, peace out. Pe- peace out. If you, if you don't like a thing, peace out. Like life is too short. There's too much stuff to watch out there. Yeah. And so um, like sometimes I'll start a show with my wife. I'll give you an example. Blackbird. Show I started with my wife. Got like three episodes in. I'm like, this isn't very good in my opinion. And then... She's like, yeah, but I really want to finish it. So like literally like six weeks later, we go back to Blackbird episode four. And I'm like, this is still pretty bad. And uh, and there's great things about it. Paul Walter Hauser is amazing, you know, in in my opinion. Um, But I'm like, and finally, after like 45 minutes of this 60 minute long interminable episode, she's like, I think we should stop watching this show. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Uh, I am very much into piecing out of things For when sure. you're you're not really interested. Life's too also, short. It's tough. Just with, like it's, it's separate tough with, things too. It's tougher like with I, a movie though. It's tougher with yeah, a movie because yeah. you don't know. Like you really do need to take in a whole movie. <laughs> like with TV, the cost benefit is not there in my opinion because you're you're committing like ten hours. You know, with a movie, it's going to be over by the time you realize you're having a bad time. It's going to be over in forty five minutes. You know it depends. It really How depends. Many- how, yeah. the, I can count on one hand the number of movies that I've disliked <laughs> 20 minutes in that I've loved two hours in. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? It happens. It's rare. It's awesome. There's been moments where I've said it on this podcast where I've said, oh my gosh, it was I would I was not liking this. And then all of a sudden I loved it. That's a cool experience, but it's very rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say like two big ones that come to mind recently. If, if this doesn't fall into the category you just said, Jeff, but like that kind of might have this or like after sun. And uh, <laughs> Power of the Dog, right? Like, yeah, those yeah, are movies Power where, the dog like, for me, yeah, for for sure. Where, like, the more you get into it, like, it kind of recontextualizes earlier stuff. But yeah, movies that start horribly and end great, um, pretty rare. You guys, pretty rare. it took me it took me a week to watch White Noise. You know, like just <laughs> just fits and starts. Like, mm-hmm. I can only take so much of this. End it for the day. Uh, with TV shows, at least I can be like, um, you know, I, my wife can watch stuff on her own. You can see you can separate things. You can have a show divorce. You yeah. Know? Just just let them deal with that. Yeah. That's what Emily in Paris is for. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, folks. Well, anyway, sorry if you watched Pale Blue Eye. That was that 20 minute long segment was a very extended, protracted apology to say sorry if you watched Pale Blue Eye. We're going to be reviewing yeah. Plane this week. Uh, look forward to that momentarily. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more uh, and what we've been watching. This episode of the Filmcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. I am the first to admit that sometimes I am not at my best. (laughs) Life is hard. Life can bog you down and uh, overwhelm you, make you feel overwhelmed. Like you're not showing up the way that you expect yourself to be or the way that you want to be. But working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel empowered 
you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you because it's not easy out there. <laughs> Boy, I know that for sure. If you are thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I can tell you from experience, it's useful to be able to talk to someone. And it's nice to not have to leave your house to do it. Do it from the comfort of your own home, all online. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash filmcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Betterhelp.com slash filmcast. All right, folks. Uh, actually, one, one last thing before we get to what we'll be watching. I wanted to mention Filmcast proving it has its finger on the pulse of <laughs> pop culture yet again. Because just a few weeks ago on our Top 10 of the Year episode, uh, I think it was Jeff Kanata. You mentioned Sea Beast as a movie they didn't get. Right? Yeah, I, I love that right. movie. So good. Great movie. Great animated film on Netflix. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I really love that movie as well. Um, and we both lamented, A, not being able to see that movie in a theater, B, like it's seeming to pass through pop culture without really much in the way of fanfare. Well, uh, news broke a couple weeks ago that there is a Sea Beast sequel coming to Netflix and that the director, Chris Williams, has signed uh, a deal with Netflix uh, for more movies. So I, I believe my exact words were, if there's any justice in the world, this movie would be, they'd be working on a sequel to this movie. And now I guess there's some justice in this world. Mm -hmm. I mean, between all your Avatar predictions and Sea Beast, you know, like I think you're you're on a roll, Jeff. Uh, can I play some roulette with you? Is my question. Jeff. You know? <laughs> Always been on black, my understanding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, so Sea Beast Two is coming, and that's going to be awesome. And if you haven't seen Sea Beast Part One, do yourself a favor, check it out on Netflix. All right, folks, let's let's get to what we have been watching. Uh, a few things I want to mention that I've been watching. First of all. I had a chance to see a movie called Return to Soul, which has been getting a lot of uh, love on year-end lists. Nice, yeah. Uh, and this is a movie that's released by Sony Pictures Classics. <laughs> I, I, I made a joking tweet about this a while ago, and I think I still stand by it. Like, Sony Pictures Classics, like, when you see a Sony Pictures Classics logo in front of a movie, right, there is, I'm going to say, between a 50 and 80% chance that that movie you're about to watch is a masterpiece. And also extremely difficult to get access to, <laughs> either on a streaming service or via like video on demand. Um, yeah. So I have no idea when Return to Soul is going to be out in theaters or when it's coming out. Um, but it did make a bunch of year-end lists. I got a screener for it. And uh, I just want to say uh, I thought it was very, very good. It's about a French woman who was uh, adopted into a French family. Um, but she was born in Korea. Um, and in the movie Return to Soul, she returns to Seoul, and uh, through a series of episodes, uh, the movie chronicles her, let's say, uh, her, I, I was going to say quest, but that's too strong of a word. It's like kind of her journey in, in getting in touch with her, uh, her biological family, uh, and I think this is a very good movie. I liked it quite a bit. Um, it's 
it provides a lot of nuance to what an adoptive relationship is like, you know, like I think in popular culture, um, adoptive stories tend to be relatively simple. And I think a movie like return to soul shows that being adopted is really complicated. You know, um, it's not like, like for many adoptees, like they, they love their adopted parents and, uh, and they have great relationship with their adopted parents, but they also have like a really complicated relationship with their biological parents. And like, what does it mean that they were given up for adoption and why and so on? And this is these are topics that I think Return to Soul explores with a lot of depth and uh, and nuance. And so I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it. Um, didn't quite make my top 10. It made a lot of people's top 10 of the year, but uh, I thought it's just a really fascinating movie that doesn't really do anything else that other movies do. And so check it out if and when it becomes available. The movie's Return to Soul. Uh, I also saw another movie that made a lot of people's top 10 list. It's called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. This is a documentary that's going to be put up by Neon. Um, I think uh, generally, I think Neon does a pretty good job of making their stuff available for like Hulu or Video on Demand. I don't know when this one will be available, but I assume it will be sometime in 2023. Uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is about is a documentary about Nan Golden. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Nan Golden is. She's a very uh, well-regarded mm-hmm. artist, photographer, um, and recently has launched a uh, fairly successful campaign to uh, against the Sackler family. You know, the Sacklers who uh, are many people see as responsible for the current opiate crisis. Uh, and so Nan Golden, the the movie All the Beauty and the Bloodshed covers Nan Golden's art, her life and her history with art, but also uh, her activism against the Sacklers. And I think it's pretty fascinating. Uh, The thing that was most striking to me about All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is there are many parts of this movie that are literally just a slideshow uh, that's narrated by Nan Golden. And Nan Golden is obviously like an excellent photographer, but it's just like, it just struck me like the power of a really good slideshow. In these slideshows, Nan Golden is super... Um, raw with her feelings, her emotions. She's talking about super honest stuff, death uh, uh, of family members, sickness, um, times when she has been in the hospital, like all this stuff. And I was just like, this is such a raw and bracing way to learn about someone's life. It really uh, reinvigorated, I guess, my interest in the idea of slideshows as a way of telling stories. What do you guys think of slideshows? This is the thing, by the way, that like TikTok has recently added like uh-huh. the ability to post a slideshow on TikTok, which I was just like, huh, it's, it's really weird. You mean like, like multiple good. Instagram photos in one Instagram post? Correct. Like, correct. Yeah. So you, mm-hmm. you like swipe up and then you see like uh, someone can post, I think, like up to dozens of like photos that are set to music that have like captions on them. Um, I don't use the feature very much, uh, but I think it's a, like an interesting, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Like a, it, like a sick PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ki- kind of, kind would, of. Yeah. The stuff the phones do like your iPhone will create memories, you know, yeah, of, yeah. Of a bunch of photos. Well, what do you guys think of is great. What do you guys think? You like oh, those? I love, love that. Love it. Yeah. 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 It, um, you give me content without me doing work. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. amazing. It's, I mean, that's one of the, I think the joys of digital photography in, in this age is uh, this like, Oh, my phone just reminded me of all those pictures I forgot I took four years ago. You know, uh, that's yeah. that's cool. And oh yeah, it's fun to be reminded of that. And yes, and having a little slideshow with music set to it, it's it's delightful. Yeah, uh, 
I, I think those are cool as well. Uh, and to be clear, in the movie, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, the slideshows are set to like her narration. And I was just like, wow, this is really powerful. Cause you don't really, you don't really see that that often. Right. I guess <clears> like for a Ted talk, you may be like, maybe you see it, but like, it's rare to see someone show photos from their life that are like incredibly honest about like all the struggles that they've been through and just narrate it and talk about people, talk about your life. I'm like, wow, like this is, it's really kind of inspired me in a way to, to, to maybe try to do more work like this. Um, but the documentary itself is also fascinating. Nan Golden is a very impressive, interesting figure. And uh, the documentary is directed by Laura Poitras, uh, who, who directed the Edward Snowden Citizen Four documentary as well. Um, very talented filmmaker. So I'd recommend it when uh, it's available. It's called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. That's another movie I watched this week. Also another movie that I was considering for my top 10. Finally, I had a chance to watch Breakpoint. Have you guys heard of this documentary on Netflix? It's a docu-series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Is it about one? tennis? Yeah. yeah, it's about tennis. So my wife is super into tennis, right? And so uh, she was really excited about Breakpoint. She actually uh, pitched us covering it on Decoding TV. And I, I, um, uh, was, uh, I was like, okay, let's, let's, ch- let's check it out. This documentary, uh, Breakpoint, is directed by the same people who directed uh, a Formula One uh, documentary. Yeah, which I've well. watched, by the oh, way. Oh, you have? What did you think of the... the Formula uh, One? Yeah. Boy, I... I th- I, I can't recall if it was through through hashtag slash tag or if it was a DLC recommendation. It may have been a DLC recommendation because I'm always talking mm-hmm. about, on DLC, I'm always talking about racing games and, and my sort of inability to find the love of non-arcade racing. Like if, I, if I'm playing a racing game, I want to do jumps and crash. You know, uh-huh, but yep, yep. there's a lot of people, you know, like same. Gran Turismo and, and, and Forza and a lot of, you know, these, uh, especially the formula one racing games that, you know, it's all about simulation and creating an authentic experience and people love them. And I've always wondered a why and how, and what, what is the draw? I don't even understand the draw. And then, you know, I have friends that watch formula one, the actual, you know, pay attention to the sport. And I also, I do not get that at all. And so at some point, somebody recommended to me this documentary series as a way in, as a way to understand what is so compelling about the sport. And I have to admit, it did not make me a Formula One fan, but it did make me come away from it going, they should really do this for every sport because mm-hmm. it's, in, it's an incredible, I mean, hard knocks for NFL is awesome in the same kind of way where you go, Oh, here's a way for you to to convey the drama and storylines that manifest out of real life sport in a way that doesn't require you to tune in and watch it like it it cherry picks the most incredible moments, sets them up in the best possible way. You know, it's it it's really cool and it's like, "Oh yeah, they could do this for literally every sport I don't care about." Mm-hmm. And I would watch it, you know, the, why not? Because it's, it's, you realize, I mean, I had an acting teacher that once said like sports is the purest form of drama. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's true. And you can construct it in the, in the narrative form so much more effectively with these kinds of like well shot, well edited, well made a documentary series. Well, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, that's, uh, f- I think it's Formula One or F1 Drive to Survive. Yeah, I'm not correct. Mistaken, yeah. Right? yeah. So I-, I heard good things about that. I haven't seen it. And so, and uh, my wife was really excited. She's like, oh, they're going to, the way that that 
show made F1 into a big thing. They're going to do the same thing for tennis, you know? And we watched it, and I think it's not very good. Oh, um, no. For, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, my understanding of the Formula One documentary, and Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, like, um, these are kind of, like, larger-than-life figures, right? Like, they're... Well, so they're, are tennis stars. Yeah, but, like, the... Um, the I agree, but like ten, some tennis stars are certainly right. Um, but I think that Formula One, you know, I don't. It's not a sport that I particularly appreciate or enjoy or believe is good for the planet. Um, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I I I can understand why people think it's cool. You know why it's like such a, it's cars and it's manly and so on. Like I understand. You don't understand why, why people, people think tennis is cool. No, I do. But oh, okay. The thing is about the thing about tennis is it's extremely different, right? Because first of all, most people in tennis, uh, like it's an extremely isolating sport. It's an extremely isolating sport. So, like, but that's what if, makes it so dramatic and compelling. If, if you are mid-tier tennis, like I'm just saying, the life of a tennis player, you're spending 30 weeks out of the year living out of suitcases. Most tennis players will never be your Serena Williams or your, you know, uh, Rafael Nadal or whatever. Like they'll they'll never be like megastars. So just like statistically, that doesn't happen. Um, and so you spend most of your time kind of like, you know, living in hotels and like, uh, and just kind of being by yourself. It's not a team sport, right? So there's no drama that's inherent in a team, even with F1, like you're working with a crew. Um, and so I think like inherently there's a lot of things that are less cinematic about profiling the lives of tennis people, um, than there would be with F1. Um, but beyond that, I think this is a documentary that series. So the first five episodes are out now, and then like they're going to release the next five episodes later. This is a, kind of one of those documentary series that I think pleases no one, because <laughs> as a as somebody who is coming in from outside the tennis world, like I found the documentary to be really pretty poorly told from a narrative perspective. Like it does a very poor job of establishing what the stakes are in the tennis world for like the stuff, the events that are shown, right? Um, when I think that actually would have been pretty relatively easy to do, um, it doesn't it doesn't do a good job of explaining like why these matches that are shown are like important. It's just kind of like super hyper edited, like you know, a lot of cutaways to people saying, you know, your life is on the line, and like, and then it's over. You know, like it's like very dramatic. Like it, it almost feels like a music video or or a commercial as opposed to like an actual documentary. Hmm. Um, so there's very little insight into the sport or the stakes. Um, and my understanding is also tennis is a sport of attrition. You know, like games are played over the course of hours and like uh, a lot of it just hinges on like these very minor moves that may or may not have happened or minor decisions that may or may not have happened. You're not going to get any insight into any of that in, in this documentary, you know? So I think that like, it's it's just not really that interesting. It's trying to profile these personalities and like the personalities I think are you know, are of limited interest, I think, just because like the the, the questions that are, they're being asked are not that interesting. Um, and so I think as a newcomer, I'm like, I don't get the big deal around the sport. And if you are a hardcore tennis person, you already know like 99% of all this stuff. So I, I, I've seen like negative reviews from people who are like really into tennis. I didn't enjoy it and I'm not that into tennis. I think it's kind of like a mid ground that isn't really going to make anyone happy. Unfortunately, your wife but, also didn't enjoy it as someone who isn't. Yeah. She, she wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not about like Jokovic and, and Nadal and, and the, like, it's not about the top tier, right? It's about lesser known personalities. Is that correct? It, yeah. Well, that, th this is the thing, Jeff is like the idea is that basically tennis has been dominated by 
these personalities for like decades. Yeah. Right. And now, very recently, finally, some up and young, like up and coming young people finally have a chance to dethrone these people. Right. Because literally they're aging what out. I just literally what I just said is extremely poorly conveyed in the documentary. Uh. Like, just like that's a basic that inherently has lots of drama. The, the documentary does a shit job of explaining that, you know, like it's too bad. And so it's just like, it's just like, Oh, that's a bummer. And so, yeah, I, I, as a newcomer, I didn't like it. My wife as a hardcore tennis player didn't like it, but it's just kind of interesting to reflect on like what, um, like what, what the level of knowledge you would need for a documentary like this to be successful is I, I kept thinking about the last dance and how awesome that documentary was. I think mm. we all love that documentary. Right? Yeah. Like, but I, I feel like the last dance is, um, is really good for like any, like all, all audiences. Like I, I am not a huge basketball fan. I love that movie, that documentary. Yeah. Right. And like hardcore documentary, you know, they're also, in, so it's just like, it just makes me wonder like what is, what is the key to kind of making, a documentary that appeals to hardcore fans and casuals. Um, and I don't think that Breakpoint on Netflix struck the right balance, unfortunately. So, it sounds like uh, it really brought you to your... Match point. That's right. <laughs> Match point. <laughs> anyway, it's 40 Love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Breakpoint on Netflix. Uh, and I didn't like it, but maybe you do. Let us know at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Let's take a break uh, for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more of what we've been watching. Devendra Hardwar. What have you been uh-huh. watching this week? I finally gotten the chance to see a movie that I've been looking forward to seeing for for years, honestly, for for over a decade now. That's Andrei Zulowski's Possession. And this, this, movie, this is on yeah. my list. It recently hit AMC Plus, I think, and, and Shutter, Sh- and Shutter, and Shutter right? yeah. And Sh- so I was like, oh, because I, I I actually bought a Region Two Blu-ray uh-huh. so I could watch this movie, um, which I still haven't gotten around to watching it. So Devendra. <laughs> Should because there was no Blu-ray available pr- prior to now. There um, wasn't, and so I'm curious, Devendra. Like, I heard this is a pretty freaking weird movie. Did you enjoy Possession? It's, it's a weird yeah. ass movie, and I have to say, I um, this movie is unforgettable because <laughs> it's very, very strange. And I am just, uh, I'm always intrigued about movies about madness, right, and about people stretching the limits of what's like societally um, allowed. You know, people just breaking uh, norms quite a bit. And this is a movie that's essentially about a divorce. It's about a marriage falling apart. And it explores that in so many different ways, in ways that are straight up, oh, it's a horror movie, you know, uh, very much so. That's why it's on Shudder. Um, but also psychologically demanding. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of like just things I have never really seen before in a film. And um, just have to say like the performances by Isabella Ajani for, first of all, who plays uh, the wife, uh, Anna in this movie um, and Sam Neill also like Sam. It's a young Sam Neill looking very hot in this movie. Um, He is playing sort of like a secret agent type guy. So there's like some spy intrigue going on here that I didn't even really uh, connect before, but it's a big shouty movie of people having big emotions towards each other and trying to figure out like why their relationship fell apart. And um, it's very much the shining. It's very much a lot of different things. Um, and also like is far more weird than most movies. Like uh, the, the shining like has it's like, you know, uh, fantastical bits and things that are open to inter- interpretation. I think possession is just like a genuinely baffling film at times, but I found it like fascinating to watch and um hard to watch at times too like they're 
there there's abuse going on there they're gonna be slapping each other and fighting each other but also things that anna goes through there's a subway scene that people talk about quite a bit where she's basically having a full-on sort of possession type scene in a subway that is just like a long take of this actress just kind of giving it her all and that's everybody in this movie it's everybody just kind of at 11 nobody feels normal in this movie but it's because everything is a bit heightened that makes it so interesting um it's unforgettable i think everybody should check this movie out but uh you know maybe think twice before watching it with your partner how about that because it is one of those movies that really um it feels like it goes even harder than something like eyes wide shut when it comes to stressing like what makes a marriage work and what makes it fall apart and just just the things that you all kind of agree to when you form a union and how difficult it is when it falls apart this movie goes places it is bloody there is all there are all sorts of liquids and viscous things going on um it turns into a sort of monster movie at some point and i won't i won't even say much more about that because that is just a truly wild thing to behold but i think if you want to see like truly extreme acting if you want to see sam neill also just like giving a bonkers gonzo performance you should check this movie out it's definitely worth watching just be careful who you watch it with all right that's possession it's available on amc plus and shutter uh it's definitely on my my bucket list list of shame pile should of shame be, it should you be know? on your bucket list it's, I, it's it is one of those movies i feel like everybody should see yeah. like to see how far um you know this filmmaker pushed these actors and how like just it, it is kind of wild. Like we don't see movies going this hard or this uh, insane at times. So yeah, worth a watch for sure. Check it out on Shutter. Yeah, that's Possession. All right, Devendra, what else have you been watching? I also saw Skinamarink, uh, which is a new movie. I think you do. This is also going to be on Shutter eventually. Uh, it's in theaters now in limited release, I believe. And I can't I, I've heard this is like a, a horror movie that Reddit originated, basically. Basically, or, you know, like... I don't know if you guys are familiar with creepy pastas or the sort of like creepy tales that became popular on yeah, Reddit, like, like Slender Man. I think is Slender Man a creepy pasta? Yep. Or Slender you know, Man was kind of one of those. Yeah. Um, the and this comes from director Kyle Edward Ball, who shot this movie uh, in his childhood home for very little money. I think it was like fifteen thousand dollars. Like just doing very little. You know, um, I mean, editing himself, like not really getting many other people involved other than the actors. I can give you the basic gist of this movie. And this movie is not for everybody. This is very much experimental horror. If you want to get a sense of like what he is, um, what this movie is, uh, Kyle Ball ran this YouTube channel. He still runs it. It's called Bite Size Nightmares, where people <laughs> would send him descriptions of their childhood dreams and their nightmares. And he would just create like short, like five minute videos. Uh, really lo-fi things trying to recreate those there's a good uh, rev- uh there's a good like overview over what skinnamarink actually is over at slash film so go check that out this movie is about two kids who find themselves left at home alone at night they don't know where their father is things are going weird with their mother the doors and the windows in the house disappear and you are left for over 90 minutes just with these kids as they're sort of like navigating the situation and it is not shot like a normal film. Um, you never clearly see anybody's face. The camera's always at like child level, like, so really, really low on the ground. Um, I think a lot of the shots are beautiful. I think a lot of the sequences are great. I'm not sure if this really gels together as a narrative. 
you know, I think um, I think Kyle Ball like did a great job with some of those YouTube things and his individual uh, five minute shorts were just like really creepy, really like really troubling to watch. And they really evoke like a great sense of dread, which is what I love in horror movies. This movie does that as well, but also does that for a very long time. And I don't think the the actual narrative like really, really holds together. That being said, um, if you sit through this movie, there is some genuinely creepy stuff here. This movie will, especially if you're trapped in a theater and you have no escape and you're forced to like listen to the sound design and listen to these kids whispers and listen to demonic voices that start to talk to them and tell them to do uh, crazy things, uh, violent things. Um, it will do something to you. Like this movie will like creep under your skin in a way. So it's very much slow cinema. It reminds me a lot of like David Lynch uh, certainly in Twin Peaks, uh, the return series too, where it sounds like you're describing like paranormal activity too. Is not, that kind of not even paranormal activity, like paranormal <laughs> activity, things happen. Okay. <laughs> things happen on the screen. Uh-huh. You know, you're watching people, you're watching characters that you're following, you're watching action and events. Um, slow cinema is often about just staring at a scene, staring at a scene for several minutes. Right. And maybe not much actually changes. Maybe your maybe your eyes are trying to like try to focus in something you see behind the film grain. Maybe you're just listening to the sound design, and that is essentially what this movie is. It is a lot of those sequences. Uh, sometimes the kids are watching cartoons. Sometimes the kids are trying to see what's going on upstairs in the house, and sometimes the demonic presence actually makes itself known. And I don't know if I would recommend this movie to you guys, especially after. I kind of know what you guys are into, you know, and (laughs) non-narrative experimental art cinema is it's, it's touch and go sometimes. Right. If you found mad God, I I love mad God, you know? Yeah. If you, if you were down mad God, mad God has crazy ass visuals. Something's always Mm -hmm, happening on the screen. It's true. You know, um, how do you feel about seeing a dark corner for five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> that is where that's where your your limits will truly be tested. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so it, it, this movie is a lot of that. Also, it a is, bad line to open a date with. Yeah, um, <laughs> let's let's go stare at this. Uh, not a date movie. Not a date movie. Actually, um, my brother and his girlfriend went to this see this movie. This movie made her cry. <laughs> it's so genuinely oh. upsetting too, because also oh. for parents, like you seeing kids in peril. Jeff, you know how this feels like it, it, it kind of touches something in you. Yeah. And this movie is essentially kids in peril. Oh, my God. This feels like a hard pass for me. This whole it's hard this pass whole for movie. Jeff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Dave, maybe, about... maybe yeah. give it, I give it a go. Maybe. I could see maybe doing it, but uh, possession is probably on my list before this. No, do so. possession first. And possession <laughs> is sort of like required <laughs> yeah. viewing. Yeah. I think it yeah. will fundamentally reshape the way you see cinema and the way you think like how far dramas can go. Um, and if you want to get a sense of like what Skin and does go check out bite Size nightmares. It's a small YouTube channel, but like a lot of the sequences he does in that channel are kind of replicated here. Um, this movie just kind of makes it, you know, it tries to build a narrative around it. It's very open-ended. Um, it, it's tough, but you know what? I'm so happy to see a movie like this out in limited release. I'm happy to see people talking about it. Um, it's genuinely creepy, you know, and those experiences, I think, um, that's yeah. sort of what I want to capture in horror. Um, but I also prefer more traditional narratives yeah. to be honest. So yeah, it's skin and marink. It sounds like some great moments, but not a, a narrative that hangs together for Devendra. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at limited release right now. Uh, all right. Uh, Devendra and Jeff, you both watched along with me. Yes. The last of us episode one on HBO. 
So, Devendra, what do you think of uh, of The Last of Us? I think um, I think it's pretty solid, but I also can see why um, some reviews are sort of like, well, it feels like something may be missing. And maybe this is because I've played the games and goddamn, I've seen this, this like opening storyline five times yeah. at this point. Like mm-hmm. I've seen it again and again and again, um, you know, slight spoilers, but you know, you're, you're basically waiting for a child to die while yeah. watching this episode, you know, and that was a very hard thing. My wife didn't know anything about this narrative, so I didn't prepare her for it, but I sort of had to like make sure we were, you know, we were okay for her to, to see this because it's genuinely upsetting. It's as upsetting in this show as it is in the games. Um, I do appreciate like how this, this episode gives us more of that opening sequence. Basically it gives us the day before things go really bad for Joel and his family. Um, whereas the game kind of opens just a couple hours before things get like, not even like you spent 15 minutes basically where you get to see the world before things really go bad. And I kind of appreciated that here. I think, uh, um, I think the acting overall, Pedro Pascal, fantastic. I was surprised to see Anna Torv. Anna Tor from Fringe is in here playing Tess, and I don't typically associate her with like very gritty sort of roles, but I, I like her here. Um, I, I think it's interesting, but a lot of people have been comparing it to the the pilot episode of The Walking Dead, which I think um, is is genuinely the only good Walking Dead I've ever seen. It's a, <laughs> a, a freaking it's a masterpiece, you know. It's it's genuinely great cinema. I don't think this quite compares to something like that. It is a solid entry point for this series. I do feel like some elements of it have been rushed. It feels like they're just lifting a lot of the design language from the games and taking away some things too that aren't as cinematic. So in in the games, right? Like there is the idea of uh, spores, fungal spores that could get you infected and they just took that out entirely here. Maybe because uh, Pedro Pascal was like, no masks. Not again. <laughs> it, it is amazing Please. how good he can be when you can actually see his face. I mean, I mm-hmm. always love him, but yes, you want to you look at that face. You want to see that face. So, yeah, I, I'm really digging it. I think, um, and first of all, having Craig Mazin, you know, kind of leading it to and having Neil Druckmann writing it. It feels like a, we're in good hands. I've also read some of the reviews from a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, this, this show actually expands on what we see in the first game quite a bit. So I'm excited to see where it goes. I just don't think this episode is like a, a full knockout. You know, I think I think it did some things very well, but I kind of want to see more. And maybe we'll see that in the coming episodes. Jeff Kanata, what were your thoughts on The Last of Us? episode? Uh, one? I think that it is an exceptionally well-made show at least thus far obviously only one episode in i know you've seen more dave um i think it is uh it is beautifully made and uh the acting all around is is exquisite the the way it's shot is is quite beautiful and so much of it is undeniable um i mean it, it, it that sequence from the beginning of the video game it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. remarkable to see something done almost shot for shot for yeah. a video game that's yep. wild um, like I, I had a, a weird, you know, deja vu. It, it, you know, they drive by that burning house at the beginning. I'm like, I, I did that exact thing. There's, yeah. Cameras in the backseat. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. exactly the same way. And even, I mean, I it's been a minute since I I played uh, the remake. You know, it was a, few, a couple of months ago. But it, but like it even felt that like the 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 Austin Street looked the same. I was like wild, wild to me. But um. You know, I, I don't know if I can put myself through this again. It's it's so mm-hmm. grim. It's, it's so, rough. It's rough. So yeah. grim. And um, 
you know, it, it does, it does feel very, um, there's no, it is joyless, um, almost completely in that first episode. And, and I suspect there won't be much joy to be found later. I I don't know where, where they're going with Ellie, right? Ellie seems even darker in this first episode than she is introduced in the game to me. Um, the, the performance seems very almost, um, psychopathic in this first episode um <laughs> i mean she she has reasons to be I of guess, course because absolutely. Th- this world seems everybody rougher. does it's, it's, Every, everyone seems rougher like we we get people basically throwing bodies onto a fire it's you know? rough man it's it, that i don't think we really saw that in the games i guess no of course joel had to do other work you know but we we didn't do that in the game i also but, uh, my other mm-hmm. my other criticism I, I, even that's a harsher word than i want but it might observation i guess is that um the the pilot really jumps into the factions of this world very fast Mm -hmm. to the point where it's like ah man it really feels like it's crawling up its own ass a bit Mm -hmm. um here and i worry that that will continue because ultimately What's so compelling about the video game and and compelling about video games, well, well-made video games in general, is that I am inside the experience of a character and have to do the act I have to perform the actions, right? I am I am role-playing in the purest sense of the term because I have to I have to do the things. I have to investigate the things. I do the, and yes, there are cutscenes, but I am doing because and so I am relating, right? And and I I worry a bit that in expanding the world, which I think is a good impulse for making a series out of this game, that they are also kind of obscuring what is so compelling about a, a basic story about two characters that rely on each other, right? Mm. Um, and I don't know where the series goes. Maybe Dave, you'll say that those fears are unjustified, but I felt like the beginning of this, the first episode, so much um, focus on on Joel's daughter and you inside her experience, and it felt so so relatable and 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 terrifying and all those things. And then the second half of the episode is just like, yeah, fireflies and hitting and, plot points. Yeah, you know, federal. It's, it just all felt very like, oh, we're we're we've lost the thread a bit. I think of mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. so compelling about this in that it is a very human story. So I don't know. That was my impression of the first episode. There, there's one sequence with the daughter early on where she's in the the house with the older people, oh, and so good. The grandma in the background, oh, so good. That is that's the good stuff. So, so good. I am hoping to see them like kind of like yeah, just do more interesting things that are like cinematically compelling without just like trying to replicate the plot points of the game. Like I want to see this thing expanded in a real way. But yeah, what did you think, Dave? Overall, uh, I liked it. I think that you know the question is whether those things that you said jeff are features or bugs right Right. and what i mean Mm. by that is you're saying you really liked the idea of like here's the thing about the last of us video game is you are basically in two characters perspectives for like the virtually the entire game right and there are advantages to that, you know, because you really form an attachment to these characters. The disadvantage is sometimes it can feel a little claustrophobic. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can feel like mm-hmm. you don't really understand more about the broader world uh, and the context behind what's happening. Now, you may like that, right? You may appreciate that about the game. Um, but whatever the case, your opinion is about that, uh, the show has taken a different approach. I think the show is wanting to show you more of the wider world. Um, 
wanting to show you more context, uh, wanting to fill out some of these side characters a little bit more. Um, and so if you're like, well, the strength of the game was that it didn't do those things, then you are not going to like the show as much, right? Um, so that's one thing is like, yeah, it's definitely a different approach and it's, it's up to you whether it's something you like. The second thing I would say is, um, is an open question that I think is captured by your initial sentiment, Jeff, is um, what does The Last of Us have to add to our pop culture right now? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, what, yeah. what does this show have to add that The Walking Dead and Station Eleven and Mad Max Fury Road and any number of other things that have happened since The Last of Us Part One came out? What does it have to add, you know, that like none of those other things have added? Fungal and, zombies. <laughs> I did love and, that very first scene. Yeah. I thought that was cool. That like 1960s TV show scene. I thought that was cool. With, uh, mm-hmm. with Big Head from Silicon Valley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we're going to find out, you know, whether or not it, it, it is the case. I mean, for, for me, um, I, I think like virtually all the changes they make, like 90, 95% of the changes are like positive ones. Mm-hmm. They're like mm-hmm. changes that I'm like, oh, I get why they made that change because it makes the TV narrative better. Overall, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, but for me, I'm just like, yeah, the, the, most of the negative sentiment I saw was mostly like, sorry, I can't do another one of these. Like, can't, yeah, can't do another one of these yeah. post-apocalyptic ones. You know? it, it, yeah. And it is, and so, I mean, it is depression porn in a certain sense. You know, it is, it is mm-hmm. it's grim, it's, it's, it's bleak, it's, it's dread. And the games did that very, very well. And I, I love the games, but you know, I've heard you say, Dave, that, that Last of Us Part One is, is among your favorite games of yes. all time, if not 100%. your favorite. 100%. I, yep. I would never, ever, ever rank. I, I would. I could come up with 50 games I like more than The Last of Us, either mm. of them. Interesting. I admire them. I think they are among the best made games, best mm-hmm. crafted games of all time, certainly. I think they are an incredible achievement. But I... Give me every Uncharted game before, you know, before I play a Last of Us again. Like yeah. that, I appreciate them, I admire them, but they, you know, ultimately the exercise in the first game, I believe, is trying to find the humanity amongst all that bleakness, but that is completely obliterated in the second game. Agreed. And, and, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't even I get me started, fear, Jeff. <laughs> get me started. Well, and I fear. That that is going to be the lesson of the show is that there is no human, there is no positivity to be found. There I am is so no joy. worried. I am so worried. Because here's the thing: first of all, this is one of the most successful HBO premieres of all time. I think over four million people watched the season premiere of The Last of Us. Um, so I suspect they're going to have enough gas in the tank to get to like a season two or a three. I am terrified of what happens when they get to season two. Uh, or season three, because as you all as you all know, I hated The Last of Us Part Two, and how it just completely took some of the characters we loved from the first game and flushed them down the toilet. In my opinion, you know, I know we disagree on it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I am I am scared too, Jeff. I'm scared. Well, um, I, but I, I, I don't think I don't think our our fears are exactly aligned. But but I yeah, and I and I also don't know if a mm-hmm. season two is necessarily game two, right? Right. I, I agreed. Agreed. It could be. I mean, I think a season. I think if there's a very clear case of season one being game one, that's like that feels very neat to me, um, because the first game was only like ten to fifteen hours long, right? Yeah. So that aligns almost perfectly. 
Um, the second game is like 25 to 30 <laughs> hours long. So like, I don't think you could summarize, you know, so I could see seasons two and three being game two, but yeah, the second I, I don't game would need know. two seasons or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. Any, any, anyway, I think, uh, we got to move on, but I think we've shared our concerns about it and I hope I've articulated Jeff, like, you know, that I, I basically don't know that your concerns are going to be, uh, you know, right. Well, assuaged. Ultimately, but, I, but other people might not share your concerns. You know? I uh, I think mm-hmm. most people don't share my concerns, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. But I I I also feel like I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm like not excited for see, for the next episode. I'm not like, mm. hey, I'm looking forward to the feelings I get by watching episode yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, anyway, The Last of Us, uh, bleak show, uh, bleak episode for, for pre- bleak times. For for, yeah. for bleak times, bleak title. You know, like it's it's everything about it is bleak. I think it's really well done. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the season, but I totally get if this is not the show for you right now. So that's stuff that Devendra has been watching. Jeff, hit us up with a couple things you've been watching. Well, on the absolute opposite end of that spectrum, (laughs) 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 I had, uh, I mean, even in title, uh, I had had the opportunity to see a movie that I know uh, Dave talked about a couple weeks ago now. Uh, honorable called, honorable mention for me on my top 10. Yeah. Yes, it's called Living. Yeah. Um this is the remake of the uh, Akira Kurosawa movie uh Ikiru. Yep. Uh which I saw back in college, so it's been a minute for me since the college. Um so like uh, 10 years ago, right, Jeff? Oh my god, I wish. I wish David. <laughs> I wish. Um but uh also saw that movie as a young man, right? As a college kid. Uh, with my whole life ahead of me <laughs> and uh, living stars, Bill Nye. It is, um, it, it, this is a remake of that setting it in uh, 1950s London. Um, and uh, it is the story of a, uh, is sort of a civil worker who has spent his whole life uh, as a civil servant and uh, finds out he has a terminal disease and, um, uh, wants to figure out what is the key to living? How, what, what is life about, right? In, the, in, the, in his last, uh, you know, weeks of life. Um, and it's an exquisite movie. It's, it's beautiful. Um, I, I won't be able to compare it to its predecessor uh, in any, you know, in any uh, good sense because I, it's been so long since I saw that one. I remember that movie affecting me and being, and being a beautiful movie I saw in college. But I was, I was young and, 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 you know, it, you think about things differently when you're in college, when you're like, oh man, all life is ahead of me. And now I have kids. And now, you know, this is a man who has has children and ha- the relationship with his children is very much in the film. And it is, this is like, it's such a beautiful, beautiful movie. It, it is a quiet movie. It is a slow movie. It's melancholy. It's like this delicate little flower of a movie. And I absolutely adore it. It takes its time. It's, you know, Nai, I think, never speaks above a whisper in the entire movie. He's just this, like, small little contained man who's just trying to find some meaning in his life. And ultimately, it becomes about the fact that life is about being of service to other people. It's about small kindnesses. And I adore it. I adored this film. And I I hope more people see it. I, I just love its message. I love... I mean, I was, I was weeping. I, 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 I was so moved by the experience of watching this and what it says about life. And, and ultimately like it, it comes up with an answer. Like what is life about? It's about being kind 
to other people. It's about being of service to others and finding meaning in that. And man, what a, what a, what a beautiful little sweet little movie. Um, I, I loved it. I'm so glad you like this one, Jeff. Uh, and I, I quite liked it as well. There's a moment in the movie um, that really stuck with me. Uh, I guess you could consider this a minor spoiler, but uh, you know, whatever. I don't think it's really that much of a spoiler. Um, but a character is telling this story of how, um, like, when there's kids playing in a playground, right? And like, it's time to uh, it's time to for the kids to come inside now. They can't play in the playground anymore. Come inside now. Um, kids react different ways, right? Um, some kids like go in willingly, right? But a lot of kids are like, no, it's not. I don't want. I want to stay out here longer. I want to like be out here for for longer, right? Um, but there's some kids that aren't doing it. They're not doing jack shit. They're just kind of sitting out there, <laughs> literally just waiting to be called in. Mm-hmm. And he, he, you know, the message of the movie is like, don't be like those kids, right? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> yeah. Don't don't be like somebody who's just waiting for your turn to come. Which is to say, your life to be over. You know, like I, I, either one of the other approaches is fine. You know, but like, don't uh, don't just wait for for it to be over. Uh, and I think that's a great great message, and obviously very relevant to us. You know, we're we're in the entering the zone where like there's less ahead of us than behind us. You know, pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think living is definitely a movie that makes me contemplate life and my decisions and how I want to spend my time. It, so, it, it is. Know, I don't want to do any spoilers for this movie because I hope folks seek it out. I know it's in movie in cinemas mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Um, but there's something that it does structurally that I think is really cool. Yeah. I know um, what you're talking about. I yeah. was like, Oh yeah, that's super cool. How and it's, it's, doing it's that. so yeah. well done. I mean, it's yeah. from the first movie, you know, the yeah. original, yeah. but it's like, yeah. I love that it's retained here and I love how the movie it's a, it's a, like a flourish that adds so much and you go, Oh my gosh, where are we now? What's happening now? Mm. It's really, really, really great movie. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I would recommend both of you, by the way, check out the uh, the Mark Romanek movie, Never Let Me Go, which is the mm. adaptation of the Kazuo Ishiguro novel. He also, I think Alex Garland did the screenplay for that and yeah. very similar themes. And I love that book and love that movie. Yeah, I've, I think we reviewed Never Let Me Go on the podcast. I, yeah, um, yeah. I think we did, so, yeah. Um, all right, Jeff, what else have you been watching? I also uh, checked out a new documentary called Turn Every Page, The Adventures of Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb. Um, have you guys heard of this movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, namely because it was sent over as some of the, as part of the package of screeners with living, I think. Right. Oh, uh, well, uh, I did not get it that way, but, um, uh, I, I think you would love this movie, Dave. I think both of you would really, really? like it. All right. Um, it's, uh, this is a documentary made by Lizzie Gottlieb, the daughter of Robert Gottlieb. And, uh, if those are names that are unfamiliar, th- Robert Gottlieb is basically he's an editor among a lot of other things, but he's a uh, a a a um a publisher and editor of of basically every great book you have heard of in the 20th century. <laughs> you know, like every Toni Morrison book, all the Michael Crichton books, uh the list goes on and on and on and on. I mean, he has he has personally edited, I think he estimates something like seven or eight hundred books. Um and some of the greatest books of all time, like, uh, you know, memoirs, uh, uh, fiction, nonfiction. It's amazing. He edited The New Yorker for many years. Uh, he, he is a just a titanic force in American popular culture. 
um, because of because he was a tastemaker. Like he published these these authors, he helped shape their works by editing them very vigorously. Uh, and you see a lot of his modus operandi in 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 the documentary. You get to see what he thinks about that profession, how he did it, what, where he came from, why he got into it, how he accomplished what he accomplished. And it's all fascinating. But it's paired with Robert Caro, who is widely regarded as one of the most important authors of the 20th and 21st centuries as well. Uh, he did books that uh, many, many, many people are aware of. I don't know if you guys ever read The uh, Power Broker or any of his LBJ books, but he has a uh, going on five volume biography of Lyndon Baines Johnson that he's unfinished as of yet, but is widely regarded as one of the greatest uh, biographies ever written of anyone. Um, and uh, Power Broker is like the, the book that put him on the map and is anyway. You find out about all that stuff in this documentary. It goes into his uh, history, his method of working, his uh, his commitment and work ethic. And ultimately, it's it's a it's a documentary that celebrates commitment, work ethic, passion, uh, all these all these things that I think uh, aren't celebrated enough in our culture these days. Uh, people who are uh, will argue these these two men who one edited the other's books uh, and would argue for hours and hours and hours about the placement of a semicolon right? Because they care, because it matters to them, because these things are uh, not just, not just important, but, but vital, right? And, and I came away with, from it inspired and, you know, I, I, the, the biggest compliment I can give to this documentary is that I, I wanted to read. I, I was like, it didn't even matter what. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to go and, and open a, crack a book and read. Oh, that's nice. It's yeah. a celebration of words. It's a celebration of reading. It's a celebration of writing and the process of writing and editing and craftsmanship. And, um, you know, it'll explain to you why these two men are uh, so highly regarded and why they've had such a big impact on, on the world at large, but also it's intimate and tons of, you know, it's because made by one of their daughters, uh, you get a lot of access to them and you get these insights into sort of their frailties and, and insecurities as well. It's, it's just a really lovely documentary that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's called turn every page, the adventures of Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb. Wonderful. Um, well, I, you've sold me Jeff and yeah, I, I've, you know, I've actually recently started reading a lot more. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is cause I got a, I got a, a, a reading light. I got a uh, a neck light. I don't know if you've heard of those. Things. A neck light. So in that's, Seattle, that's a new one. In, here's the problem with with living in Seattle and wanting to read. Yeah, is there, there is no sun. It is ever. dark nine months you have out to of make the year. your own light. It is dark nine months out of the year, and I don't want to <laughs> read like my the lights in the house are like not that bright, um, and uh, and you know I don't want to blast like the overhead lights in or just in order to read. Um, so I got this light that goes around my neck, <laughs> and it it shines on the page. Mm. Perfect. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. um, may, so the, anyway, I, may the yeah. light of your neck illuminate every page, David, <laughs> as, they, as they often say. <laughs> that yes, very common saying. Very common uh, saying. Anyway, I, thanks I, for sharing, you know, Jeff. You, you, sold, you sold me on this. So, I think yeah. you'll. I think you'll really like it. It's. It's. You know. It's. It's great. And um, interestingly, um, 
you know, I, I was like, I'd never read any of those LBJ books. Like I, I, I the, the documentary was like, I, I want to grab them. None of Robert Caro's work, which by the way, has been in constant uh, state of being published since he wrote all of them. They are, um, you know, huge mega hits. Like these are, you know, there's pe tons of people in the documentary that regard him as their favorite author, like Conan O'Brien and, um, uh, you know, many other famous people, uh, Bill Clinton's in the movie. Um, but, uh, Never have they been available digitally. They are not a You cannot get mm. them on Kindle. You cannot get them as eBooks. They, he, they do not, they're not published that way. You have to have them. And this is, these are like 1200 page megatomes. Uh, the kind of thing that like, eh, let's be honest, works better as a digital because I don't have to haul around this mm -hmm. brick everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I was like, ah, oh, I, I can't get them. I can't get them on my Kindle. I, ha I have to, uh, I, I need a neck light to read these. <laughs> you you need a bookcase just to hold those things too, because mm -hmm. they're enormous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's turn every page, and that is what we have been watching this week. All right, folks, let's do some weekly plugs and then get to our review. Weekly Plugs is a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I just want to give a shout out to Decoding TV. Find it at podcast.decodingtv.com where I will be recapping, reviewing, discussing every episode of The Last of Us on HBO with Christian Spicer. Uh, so check it out, podcast.decodingtv.com. Divinder Hardware, your weekly plug. I want to shout out the last episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, we talked about a lot of the problems happening in air travel right now and how they're connected to aging tech systems. Uh, just last week, if you all remember, the NODEM system uh, uh, malfunctioned, and every flight in the country had to be basically paused for mm -hmm. a couple hours. Yeah. Just a wild, wild experience. So we talk about that and also a lot of other things happening that's really hurting air travel in general. Jeff Kanata? My video game podcast, DLC, uh, usually was with Christian Spicer, but this week he was out. I don't know if maybe, Dave, you were monopolizing all of Christian's time. Mm -hmm. Do not appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but I have we a had... non-compete clause with Christian um, for podcasts. Not yeah. cool. Not cool, yep. Dave. Don't swoop in and, and sign my free agents. Um, <laughs> but we uh, we had a great episode of DLC, e even in, in his absence. Uh, had a, an awesome um Stand in, uh, Khalif Adams from Spawn on Me joined as second chair, and then our guest was uh, Gabe Patillo, who is from the uh, Married to the Games uh, podcast. Just a lively, fun, awesome discussion. Uh, great jumping on point. If you've never listened to DLC, we talk about all kinds of great uh, stories related to video games and and the games we've been playing. So check it out at five by five TV slash DLC. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, Patreon.com slash Film Podcast is where you can sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks. We never want anyone to sign up for the pod, the Patreon, I should say, um, if it in any way will cause you financial hardship. But if you want to support us, we'd really appreciate it. And of course, you can always support us for free by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or just sharing about the podcast on social media. This week's After Dark will be a memorable one. Call, <laughs> call them a shot. Call it now. Um, it's, in the, it's in the can. It is done. Mm -hmm. um, but who knows? Something could still go wrong. Really uh, love Tempting Fate. Yeah, indeed, it's indeed. fun. All right. Let's get to our review of Plane. They were done somewhere in the Jolo Island cluster. It's run by separatists and militias. The Filipino army won't even go there anymore. The clock is ticking. Every minute matters. We can count those minutes in lives, lost or saved. Hey, 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 get back, get back. We don't know who it is. We don't know who it is. Get back. 
Listen carefully. This is an emergency. I'm Captain Brody Torrance. I like this guy. Welcome to the Filmcast's review of Plane, the new movie by director Jean-Francois Richet. I'm going to read the plot summary from Google. Pilot, all you, you got to say, all you got to say is, "I'm Captain Brody Torrance." <laughs> that's all you got to say. That's the, that's the plot summary. He's Captain Brody Torrance. Pilot, Pilot Brody Torrance saves passengers from a lightning strike by making a risky landing on a war-torn island, only to find that surviving the landing was just the beginning. When dangerous rebels take most of the passengers hostage, the only person Torrance can count on for help is Louis Gaspar, an accused murderer who is being transported by the FBI. All right, folks, let's talk about our overall thoughts on plane. Plane thoughts, Devendra. Plane good. Plain good. To to echo Bill Gay Aberry's review, plain good. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I, I've seen a few of these Gerard Butler a- actioners, and I think they've been mostly fine. Um, Olympus Has Fallen is is genuinely good, like genuinely a good action movie. And I feel like this one, what I really dig about it is that it is very much about the process of being a pilot. And of, you know, I love the whole opening sequence of them just preparing for the plane. A lot of technical speak, a lot of like, okay, hey, you're you're the flight attendant. Like, let's get this going. I kind of love that. I kind of love seeing how all these little things work. And this movie actually devotes time to that, whereas I think a lesser movie would not. Um, so I appreciated all that. This movie is uh, also good with uh, just good with names. You're like, good <laughs> names. Brody Torrance. Bonnie, the flight attendant, Louis Gaspar. I'm not a fan of Tony Goldwyn Scarsdale. Scar- Scarsdale, when, super. When I hear the name, name Scarsdale, I do not think like uh, you know, uh, re- really, really good fixer. Okay, I, I don't want to hear military. I don't want to hear like uh, who are the the military guys calling him Scardy. Scardy's not a. <laughs> None, none of that is cool. But anyway, I like so much of this movie. I think the action is pretty solid too. And Mike Coulter is also pretty fantastic. I like him. I've liked him in everything. I've been talking about him in Evil, the CBS slash Paramount Plus series. And he just has a great sense of presence. Like he should be in more action movies. He was actually in something I saw recently that I just talked about. Um, Carter, that cre- that wild Korean action movie. Um, he just Let him play Kratos. Five minutes. He could play Kratos. He could play Kratos. He could. Mm. I like Mike Coulter. He was also very good in Luke Cage. Um, I think overall, like this is pretty good setup for for like a die hard type movie right this is die hard on an island basically <laughs> and it clearly is taking influences from movies like that and just like pretty straightforward pretty solid the only thing i would say is like i would like a little more friction i would say you know like this this movie feels like um everybody is kind of like doing their jobs and doing trying to do it well right everyone's trying to do a good job even even the guy who screws up like the weather forecast early on it's like everyone's like yes sir to to the work yes we will we'll get all these people back there's not much like complication or mystery there and also mr brody torrance kind of boring kind of boring in the way (laughs) how dare you i think the rocks i don't know if you saw it he has a daughter um, has a daughter. I don't know if you and um, clocked that. As every parent does, they cannot they cannot wait to spend New Year's with their kids. <laughs> yeah, with their teenage kids. Their as daughter, you, who by do. the way has a perfect relationship. With him. Any like, no. any teenager 
The only thing they want yeah. is to spend New Year's with their dad. I, I'm here waiting for you <laughs> in Hawaii, dad. I cannot wait to spend New Year's with you. I'm just going to hang out in this beach house in Hawaii. Um, I would say the difference between him and sort of like um, like John McClane or something, right? Where I, I think of like Die Hard as like a perfect script. I think of so much about that movie as a template of like action movies that have followed since. And the great thing about McClane is that he's uh he's flawed, right? Bad dad, pretty much. Bad husband. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least like somebody who's trying to deal with like decisions his wife is making. It's like Well, I don't know if you saw it, Ginger, yeah. but in the movie, Brody Torrance has a daughter and he's he often he's often late for things. He's as, often late you for know, things. She's like she's like, yeah. You're gonna be late, Dad? And he's like flaw. I promise flaw. I'm not gonna be late. So that's yeah. a there's a flaw right there. It, 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 it feels like a <laughs> it feels like a diehard type movie with the rough edges kind of sanded down. And hey, the diehard movies kind of lost that or eventually, right? Like John McClane became a superhero. But that first movie, that first movie was perfect. And I think it's the flaws that really makes it work. So I, I really enjoyed this. I, I think it's pretty like, um, it's better than most action movies I've seen. And certainly I like the process of the early parts, but you know what? Give flaws are good. Let, let characters work through flaws. It makes them better. Jeff Canada, what you think plane? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, what I think plane <laughs> best summed up inform limerick. <laughs> That was pretty eloquent for for caveman talk. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Ready? Here we go. If you want your film to entertain, it's frequently tough to refrain from adding in spices when simple suffices. Look how fun it can be when it's plain. (laughs) Nicely done, Jeff. Nicely done. Thank you. I'm not just joking about that. I'm not just making a clever pun, although it was very clever. Uh, I do think the strength of this movie is its simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I might, I, I agree with basically everything you said, Devendra. Although I, I do think I, there's nothing wrong with giving our, our main character a flaw. And I do think it is perfectly summed up as Die Hard with the Rough Edges sanded. I thought that was beautifully said. However, one of the things I give this movie the most credit for is what's not in it. Mm-hmm. The movie does not need to give me backstory, side story. Uh, we Louis Gaspar, sure, sure. we know like three things about that dude. And <laughs> a, a worse movie would spend so much time telling you why he's not actually such a bad guy and it would it would load this movie down with a bunch Mm -hmm. of crap we don't care about i would like to spend more time with louis gaspar though but well (laughs) you can do that smart that's we we know that we know that where that's headed Mm -hmm. uh but um i love i love how like a diehard movie this movie just sort of gets in and gets going right away you're in the airport like second one in an airport. Right. We're yeah. not spending hours like setting up morning breakfast with the kid and, oh, life is normal now. And, you know, so many movies just give you an entire first act that's like, I, this movie's called Plane. Where's Plane? Want Plane? Give Show Plane. Show me the Plane. Yeah. Show Plane, not breakfast with the kids. And I love that the movie understands what it's there to do. Also like a diehard movie. The reason I love Die Hard movies, not just Die Hard movies that have Die Hard in the title and Bruce Willis in them, but the entire subgenre that was birthed 
from Die Hard. I adore Die Hard likes, <laughs> which is basically to say ordinary person in extraordinary circumstance. And that mo th this movie like gives you that it puts this 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 guy in in way over his head and he has actually some really smart ways to to wiggle mm -hmm. out of it and i and i liked i liked that i i had a blast with this movie it's it just hits the edge of goofy at times <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's okay um but mostly it's it's grounded it's you know there's a bunch of uh, other people on the plane again i love that we don't the movie doesn't waste my time telling me about all of them. I don't you care. Can, you kind of get a sense. You have the jerk, the, the <laughs> guy who's a jerk, the guy who's kind of yeah. like the the influencer. Like you, you get a sense of who yeah. these people it's, are. Don't you think yeah. nine times out of ten, this mm -hmm. movie has a bunch of scenes that I don't care about that aren't necessary, <laughs> that's delving into all those interpersonal relationships. Who cares? Nobody cares. <laughs> show me plane and how, show me island. Show me fun, action, cool stuff. And this movie gets yeah. it. It, it, it trims the fat, it gets right to the good stuff, and the good stuff is actually pretty darn good and pretty darn entertaining. And I, you know, I went to the movie theater hoping to be entertained, and I was. My intelligence was never insulted. I recommend this movie. I think Planes mm -hmm. is, is darn good. Wow. Okay, great. All right. Well, Jeff, I have a limerick inspired by your review of Planes. Oh, my goodness. Well, Here we go. Now, Here we go. You, you did a limerick, huh? Okay. Okay, I'm gonna let's get, let's give it a shot. Okay, all right. When it comes to a movie called Plane, few others are on the same plane. <laughs> Why can't they let go of plot overflow? The answer is simple and plain. There you go. <laughs> well done, David. I just I wanted to use Plane three times. In That's limit. good. Yeah, That's good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, um, we, we the circle is complete, Jeff. We're teaching each other things. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I thought this is a very efficient action film. It, it's even the title is efficient, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a movie about a plane, and Gerard Butler gets to do some heroic things. Yeah, bad guys um, are bad. You know, bad guys yeah. are bad. Good guys are good. I'll, I'll say two things about this movie, and then let's get to spoilers. Okay. Number one is I appreciated that there was a lot of attention focused on what this uh, Southwest Airlines would do in this situation. I mean, Trailblazer Airlines uh -huh, would do in this situation. Uh -huh. um, you know, early on, it cuts to the like con control center. Let me just tell you guys, I know what those rooms look like. They don't look like that. <laughs> They're much more boring. Yeah. <laughs> they, they look, it's way more, this is like beautiful, warm lights, designer furniture. Uh, everyone's wearing like designer clothes. No, this would be like, <laughs> It's like fluorescent lights in like a table that you can buy from Costco and like everyone's using a Dell laptop. Like that's what it would be. Dave, in Dave has room. been a fixer for major airline. <laughs> that's right. Before he comes in. Like I'm Dave Chen. And every second we spend not <laughs> typing on our Dell laptops in this fluorescent lighting is measured in lives lost or saved. I, I did like that. There's a scene where Tony Goldwyn's Scar Scarsdale character, um, like gives the guy a hard time. Like the guy, uh, one of the Trailblazer Airlines people, like authorizes yeah. the flight. He's like, the, yeah, the weather guy who fucks us all. Fly up. right through the storm. You know that's yeah. going to be a good idea. We'll save and, fifty gallons of fuel. Yeah, Don't worry. Sc about Scarsdale's it. like, you know, how much money did you save? And he's like twelve thousand dollars. And he's like, that's going to barely be enough to cover the tip on this project, basically, right? <laughs> and uh, it's really, it's honestly anti late stage capitalism because it's like <laughs> it's basically like you're saving 
some money yeah. in the short term, but like how yeah. much is it going to cost? This is an international incident now um, that is going to be probably, I, I'm just going to put it out there. Um, I'm not going to give away what happened to the ending of playing in the pre-spoiler section, but I'll say whatever the outcome is, <laughs> Trailblazer Airlines is not coming back from this. Never going to recover from this. <laughs> either, yeah. either all the people die or they're saved. And I think you can guess which one it is. <laughs> but but in either case, like e- even if they're alive, they're going to be traumatized by this. You know, like it's going to be, we're going to hear lawsuits for decades to come from this. Mm. So uh, I appreciated that it's very much like, hey, don't save a buck and, you know, to lose 10 bucks later down the line. Appreciate that. it. I mean, it is both that criticism, but also like, oh man, all these people are d- trying to do the good thing, right? Like everyone's like, mm. oh, the CEO's like, yes. Yes, Scarsdale, I will do whatever you say. And the weather guy's <laughs> like, "Yes, Scarsdale, yeah, you brought me down a peg, but I'll listen to you, Scarsdale." Well, um, well, yeah. Devendra, you know, you, you say I think that's very accurate, mm-hmm. but I think that <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this during our review uh-huh, plane. Uh-huh. But there is a sickness in America. In America, uh-huh. I'm 100 percent serious right now. People like stories of heroism. Mm-hmm. They don't like doing the boring shit that would make it unnecessary for there to be heroism right Mm -hmm. um an apartment building goes up in flames you know people like outpouring of support like let's donate millions of dollars to like help these people who are homeless but elect people who would put in place regulations that would prevent the fire from happening in the first place no one gives a shit and so um but i I think we see that at work in the movie where everyone's like yeah step in let's say you know but like do the simple shit that would have prevented this from happening in the first place? No, no one's interested, right? This movie's called um, Plain, David, not Good Management. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing I'm going to point out is um, I've been thinking a lot about Asian people dying in movies. Yeah. <laughs> because in 2021, uh, former film cast guest Nancy Wong Yoon was part of a study from the Annenberg Institute where she basically studied 1,300 movies and found that when there was an Asian character in a movie, 25% of the time they died violently mm-hmm. in movies. Uh, and Daniel Day Kim had said, like, uh, you know, most of the time when I was up for an Asian ro- person role, like, I died violently. And it, it, it <laughs> like, really restricted his, his amount of roles. And so I'm, I'm kind of, like, more sensitive to it than I would be otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, and here's the thing. A uh, ton of Asian people die in this movie, guys. <laughs> like, ton of Asian but at guys. least there are a lot of Asian <laughs> well, people the in thing. this movie. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Here's what I appreciate. Okay. Yeah. The movie is very 80s in its sensibility. Like, even in the trailer clip I played, it's like, I'm starting to like this guy. You know, that's a very, like, yeah, 80s totally. movie. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, a movie like this would have, if it came out in the 80s, would have been completely unabashedly racist in its <laughs> depictions of Asian people. Yeah. But in this movie... They threw in Asian people all over the place. They're, they're There's they're like all over the place. It's, it's abashedly. <laughs> there's there's a, it abashedly. has some bashing. There, there's a and, and, uh, the 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 co-pilot is Asian. Yep. Um, one of the mercenaries is Asian. Some of the passengers are Asian. And so, even though I do think this movie feeds into yellow peril racist caricatures at the end of the day, and therefore is a net negative for Asians in pop culture, uh, I was like, hey. Appreciate you made a little effort there, movie, putting all the Asians in there. I so. do think the the other problem though is uh, all the brown Asians. Brown Asians bad. Brown Asians terrorists. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. uh, I was thinking about this movie compared to something like Captain Phillips, right? Mm. Which is a movie that actually tries to give us some of that nuance. And you know, I know you're saying like this movie's efficient. It's nice to have efficiencies and nice to like not have tons of backstory, but a little bit. 
a little bit goes along when I think of the Die Hard script and just how freaking perfect well, that well, is. Yeah, and, and the I side think, characters are interesting. You know? Yeah, and I think you're yeah. pointing to the fact that like the villains of this movie are like pretty one note. Villains are one note. Yeah. Uh, Louis Gaspar could have used more notes. Yeah, yeah. could have used could've a little used more. more. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I will say one other thing about this movie though. It not based on any existing IP. Right. It is not a sequel. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you consider yeah. it a sequel to other Gerard Butler <laughs> movies. Uh, you know, you know, not setting up I, a franchise. It's I, like, I agree. We we should root for movies like this to succeed yes, at the box office. Mm-hmm. I a, agree. It's sure, a, sure. It's a old school one-off action movie with a charismatic lead that isn't trying to do anything other than entertain you right now. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and and is it flawed? Hell yeah, it's flawed. But man, it just felt like wow. It felt like a throwback to a a, a different time yeah. for sure. And it. it, it, it it, it, Jeff, was just, it sounds like you need to be watching more Gerard Butler movies. I guess. So you yeah. want that, that Angel, vibe. Angel yeah. has fallen, Jeff. I think it's on Netflix. Anyway. Yeah. All right. But that's a sequel, <laughs> isn't it? I, no, I the watched, first one. I watched Angel Has Fallen, which is the third film, I think, without okay. having seen any of the other ones. And I was completely fine with that. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Anyway, let's get yeah. to spoilers. No, uh, wait, yeah. wait, one, more, one more quick yeah. thing. Yeah. Based on exactly what you're saying, which is I haven't watched a lot of these, but I did come away from this going... Gerard Butler's really good at what he does. He is. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, ultimately, like, like there are sequences that could have fallen flat with a guy that can't pull it off, mm-hmm. and he, like at no point, like he does some. There are some sequences in here in here of him flying the plane and and conveying, you know, and what you think about it is he's sitting in a room that isn't that is supposed to look like a plane, but isn't yeah. a plane, and he's yeah. acting his ass off. You know, pretending a lot of stuff is happening that isn't he, happening. He commands authority as as the lead of three hundred. He it's, still does. It's you know, you know, these are the kind of movies that you don't really credit the performance, but it's a great performance if, for what mm-hmm. it is. It's not easy to pull off, and he does it. And mm-hmm. man, I'm I was impressed by that. Also, uh, quick t- quick shout out to his first fight. The first fight where it's like basically a long take of him like wrestling a yeah. single dude uh, to suffocate him and break his neck. Uh, good good stuff. It was a good little fight. All right, I have more thoughts about this, but let's get the spoilers. So let's talk about spoilers for Plane starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right. Uh, on the Gerard Butler performance, I think he's he's a really fascinating face because he's he has kind of a heroic, affable nature to him, but he often looks like he's in pain as well. He's often like in <laughs> mm-hmm. agony, and uh, I think that's what part part of what makes him so appealing to people is because he is heroic. He does do the right thing. He is kind of a badass, but it comes at great cost. Yeah, and John I think, McClane gets hurt. And right, he really and I, I think that. I think we yeah. as viewers, as humans, like we relate to that. We like that. That journey that, that it to, we don't want it to be costless for our heroes, right? We want mm-hmm. them to suffer a little bit because if it's too easy, then it's like we can't relate to them. So yeah. I really like that about about Gerard Butler, it's just his persona, mm-hmm. the way he looks. You know, he's he often has this look like, you know, like angry, like angry teddy bear. <laughs> he's often how, like, how he yeah, yeah. Yeah, like uh, you know, like and so yeah. I'm about um, to burst out of this pilot shirt. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, totally. Um, all right. So anyway. Uh, other thoughts about the ending. So I appreciated how it has a pretty realistic 
depiction of what it would be like for Gerard Butler to try to call Southwest, I mean, Trailblazer Airlines. Yeah, that's pretty so solid. Um, that was the yeah. best scene in the whole movie. It's like, <laughs> sir, we're going to get a lot of these calls. And then yeah. later on when they replay it in the, in the, in the office, you're well, like, Well, yeah, because it, it makes so sense. Good. It's like, yeah. oh, like all, like, I would say 80 to 90% of the process stuff felt very... Yes. Legit. Not necessarily accurate, but like it, mm-hmm. it felt like it fairly true to life. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. this is a reasonable approximation of what they might do in this situation. My, my, yeah. my favorite part of that, though, is literally the movie's logic for how he's able to make that phone call. He did some shit. Yeah. He did some shit. He, knows, he, didn't, you know. he didn't not do something. He did <laughs> something. He looked at the wires and yeah. he plugged two together. He knows how to use a phone thingy. He, he didn't. Jeff. <laughs> not do something you gotta he give him remembers, credit because he remembers did. the customer service line by heart yeah what, yeah, what, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. what sure. did he do ah it's not not easy to tell it doesn't matter it doesn't matter <laughs> it's it's so great yeah i also yeah. want to say i'm not proud of this i could not help myself i in my screening which was not a press screening it was a public screening in the middle of the day Early screening. It was like a, a Friday. Same. I went on a, a Friday at like one o'clock. Packed. Packed. When the... Because you're so desperate to go to from Babel Eye, but yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I yeah. rushed, rushed yeah, away. Yeah, rushed away. Yep. Uh, when the airplane wheel collided with the main yep. bad guy's face, I screamed out, Plane! Plane! <laughs> 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 that's funny that's funny jeff the plane got its revenge I, th- you know? it was like that was a there was a because there's this whole journey you go in for me i was like oh this movie's called plane okay we're on a plane and i had no idea what the movie's about by the way i had no <laughs> idea of the plot i hadn't seen any single trailer i didn't know anything about it i knew it was called plane and it had Jared butler in it that was it that's all i knew and you were and ready to you were ready to reject it for that reason alone initially right but yeah, no yeah, yeah that <laughs> felt like mm. but so i so we're on the plane. Bad things are happening in the plane. I'm like, oh man, is this going to be a whole like plane? We're going to be on the plane in the air. No. I didn't know we were crash landing on an island. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. most of the movie has nothing to do with a plane. I'm like, this movie should have been called Island, not Plane. But then it loops back around at the end, yeah. and I was like, they can't, movie, they can't stop talking plane. about the plane. Yes, <laughs> back to the plane. You got to go the back. Plane. You're, you did well, it! You pulled well, it off! I was oh, so happy. I also appreciated how, at the end, it's not like, oh, we can just take off and the plane is fine. It's like, yeah. dude, the plane is effed up, man. Like, yeah. it, has, it has no doors. They can't pressurize. So it's like... <laughs> so cool. Yeah, and it's like, oh, we have to land at an island 50 miles away, which hopefully is not also run by separate yeah. <laughs> But yes. luckily, there's a, a there's the, the peaceful <laughs> airport heaven thing, like right over, just right over the mountain, just a just hop, right, skip, and a jump from yeah, here. Right over, right over <laughs> the edge. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I did appreciate that he wasn't just like, oh, we're going to fly it away. Like, it's like they have knowledge that damage was done to the plane. Yeah, that know? line mm-hmm. where the guy's like, I'm going to need you to get to 10,000 feet. And he's like, I don't have doors, man. I that was really cool. I thought, that was awesome. I, I do think. Think also that there is something about witnessing the efficient might of the American military. That's just like a, as an American, it is like a balm, you know. And I, I say that I know it's obviously uh, in many ways evil. And well, there caused... was no American military here, though. Oh yeah, you're, that's those true. were that's private true. contractors, those were private contract, yeah. which is the thing <laughs> to destroying the world. Right. Now. But I have so. a feeling they were ex-military. But anyway, they're every, point, yeah, they're all when ex-military. they come in. When they come in, it's just like, oh, that is so satisfying yeah. when they like take out all those guys. Yeah. And then like the Asian, the Asian 
military guy gets out the freaking 50 cal like oh dude the, the sniper thing it's like i've never shit. seen that in a movie the 50 <laughs> cal so like, goes through the door and then oh. pushes the guy's body oh it's just like so satisfying it's so satisfying it's just I'm like, like just ah, i don't really like i don't really like gun yeah, too many guns, oh, too many guns awesome. <laughs> it's a very simple pleasure you know? yeah, yeah. I, it, it speaks to the like the fact that the movie is called Plane, it speaks to this lizard part of your brain that's like, me like see thing go through other things. Yeah. You know, like, yes. Yeah. Um, it's so satisfying to see those guys just yeah. get pushed back. And then I thought, oh, they're definitely killing the 50 cal guy. And then the 50 cal guy doesn't get got. Yes. I loved thank, it. Thank greatness. Good. Thank goodness for that. So anyway, any other thoughts? Any thought more on Plane? <laughs> plane sequel. When? <laughs> yeah plane there's two. gonna be more they Still this plane. movie's doing pretty well so first so, of all yeah, yeah i mean what's awesome about plane is they got the sequel titles all written in. it can be p-l-2-n-e oh that's and then good the next one is p-l-a-n-3 right uh-huh. so it's like you already have the sequel i think they should call it another plane <laughs> still flying i don't i don't get i don't get it jeff another plane all right. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that uh, we all like playing. It was fun. <laughs> that so Jean-Francois fun. Richet yeah. made a movie. Like you can still have fun at the movies, guys. You can still have fun at the movies. All right, folks, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. Find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and... Or, or find more episodes at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new band, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler prepper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Uh, our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Uh, now, a word about next week's episode. Um, January uh, turns out, despite there being a lot of hit movies right now at the box office, pretty bleak time for new releases. So we're going to try to use, like, here, here's the thing that's so weird is, like, March, by the way, freaking packed. Mm-hmm. Packed, dude. Um, but January and February, there are not that many new releases out in theaters. Certainly not that many that we want to check out. Um, so next week, we are going to try watching Sick, the new Kevin Williamson slasher movie that's on Peacock right now. Uh, we hope you'll join us for that. And then the week after, we might do Missing. We might do um, Two Leslie, which is out right now on Video Demand. But yeah, it's a, it's a weird time at the movies right now. But for, for next week, we're going to be viewing Sick uh, here on the Filmcast. So look forward to that. Uh, until then, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. But uh, yeah, uh, the After Dark this week, going to be a memorable one. <laughs> Calling it. Calling it. All right. Until then, see you guys later. Goodbye.